Grow is literally orc spelled backwards. The orcs decided that they didn't want to be orcs anymore because they keep losing. <laughs> so they changed their society to basically be the opposite of orc culture and call themselves Scrow. Live from the Mundangerous The Spelljammer in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host, Yishin. And welcome to episode 317 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're continuing our series on campaign settings and talking about playing in Spelljammer. But first the party rolls the dice in the Gates of Morning campaign. And later, Uchiha Sasuke makes eye contact in the Character Creation Forge. So we told you last week, uh... Shane, you're having a baby. Another one. This, well, I'm not, but my wife is, yes. Yeah, yeah. Colloquially, we would say you you are having a baby, but I take your point. Um, however, you will be busy taking care of that baby for the foreseeable future. Well, I won't, but my wife. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I will probably spend more of my time taking care of the uh, the toddler. <laughs> uh, that means we are dropping into baby protocol. Uh, our well-established baby protocol which means we are moving to a bi-weekly schedule for the show for a little while and hopping into an actual play because that's easier to prep and record than, you know, all these knowledge bombs that we usually drop. Especially on short notice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but from what we've heard from you, you seem to be pretty into the adventures of Tez Proudgale and all the other stuff he's doing with his buddies and the trust, his good buddies, those gnomes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. His good, good buddies. Yeah. So starting next week, we're going to kick it off with our session zero of Tez Proudgale in Never Been Gished. Actual play number three. Season three, if you will. Mm, it will be a playthrough of the adventure, The Magister's Masquerade. From Strixhaven, a curriculum of chaos, but set in Eberron, per usual. Okay. Uh, yep, we're going back to magic school. Yep, Tez is never escaping academia. Mm-mm, no, I mean, that's how it works. Probably you're going to be hard up for money and need to take a postgraduate fellowship anyway. All right, well, we'll see, what, uh, we'll see how I get punished this time. <laughs> All right, where are we in the Gates of Morning campaign? So the Gates of Morning campaign is our 5th edition D&D game set in Eberron, a sequel of sorts to the original Morning Glory campaign. And in the Shadow Marches, at the Gate of Wind, the party is trying to stop the quarry from unleashing the Chaos of Zoria onto the Material Plane. As Vesicot faces off against the unkillable Mind Seed Torn, Triant Guardians have awoken to swarm the party. Switch grabs Lenore, and they dimension door to the chamber at the top of the nearly finished Hanbalan, sitting atop the Gate of Wind. A young child is working the crystalline controls, the Mind Seed and former refugee, Gersi. When she sees them appear, she activates her psionic halo and attacks, kicking the pair into the crystal walls hard enough to leave spiderweb cracks from the impact. Lenore takes point, dodging as best she can and using her rogue training to redirect some of the force of the blows that do connect. This buys Switch some time to try to decouple the Hanbalan from the gate. She can tell there are two settings she could arrange the crystal controls into, but she doesn't know which setting performs what function. 
and if she accidentally shuts off the gate entirely, the seal will fail and Zoriat will pour into the material plane. Finally spotting what they're doing, Gersi kicks the controls, shattering all of the crystals. Just then, Warden flies into the chamber in air elemental form and flings Gersi down the shaft of the tower. But she lands gently far, far below and begins running back up the dark stone side of the Gate of Wind. Switch uses the brief distraction to fish out the spare control crystals from her pack and insert them into the dais. And with no one operating the tower, the magical support being beamed from the apex ceases. When Vesicon unleashes a hail of psionic storm at Torn, no healing revives her and she is finally burned to a charred husk. The small chamber atop the tower is now crowded and Gersi bursts back in to retake it. Warden and Lenore close ranks to stop her, but Switch is oblivious to everyone else. Staring at the controls, she wonders whether it would be better if the gate was shut down. After all, no plane of existence should be trapped in unchanging stasis forever, right? Her principles pledging her to chaos and change give her pause. What does the Traveler want, she thinks. Deciding to leave it up to luck and chance, she picks a setting at random, channels a trickle of magic into the controls, and activates the tower. A bright life engulfs everyone in the canyon, and the tower explodes. In an eerily similar circular canyon, the long war with Zoriat is about to end, for good or ill. At the very center of the depression, a pool of liquid biashk the anti-aberrant mineral bubbles slowly. Around it, six gatekeepers are arrayed, each invoking the Cerulean Sign as part of the ritual that will create a mighty gate to chain Zoriat and its madness. The gatekeepers, Warden, Lenore, Zan, Decimus, Ephraim, and Cien, are dressed in their simple tunics, each bearing the seal of the gatekeepers, the stylized white tree, five branches on a blue field. They've always been gatekeepers, yet they are also of another time, far from here. Peering up at the stars, Warden knows they're familiar and also removed some 9,000 years from other familiar skies. Multicolored dream stuff strides the atmosphere. Strange. But none of that matters now. The ritual must be completed, and Zoriat has sent its soldiers. The Dalkir have been diverted from the most important locations, but resistance is still fierce. All around the small group, the canyon is full of battle. Their gatekeeper Kin, Vesicot, Bramble, and Switch are nearby, fighting off a beholder and a small army of Dolgrim to protect the ritual circle. So are dozens of other druids and rangers. The losses are terrible as the orc and goblin forces are turned inside out, eaten alive, or disintegrated by mind flares, chul, bubbling oozes, and massive worms with tentacles reaching out of their lamprey mouths. And we'll find out what happens next in a few months. All right, so our main topic today is Spelljammer. New campaign setting, I hear. 
Uh, <laughs> totally new. Never heard of it before. Really excited to see what all it's all about in August when we get uh, a bunch of books. Uh, look, okay, so Spelljammer has been on our list of campaign settings to cover right, that we, we do this series on. Um, but we have not in six years. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because, look, everyone knows about Spelljammer. Um, but, like, it's got a really vocal community of supporters who are also, like, a very small community of supporters. I Yeah, I I feel like Spelljammer gets a lot more mindshare than it ever got actual play. Um, but you know what? For better or worse, it's the it's the setting we've got next. So it makes sense to talk about it and, and learn a little bit about the history of it. Yeah, and since we're going into this actual play for a while, uh, I, that will probably still be going once Spelljammer comes out. So now is the time to talk about it. As is always the case with these episodes, the point is to give you and your group enough information and background on the setting that you can all decide if you want to play a campaign in that setting. All right, so what's the elevator pitch for Spelljammer? What if you could play a space fantasy campaign but still use the advanced Dungeons & Dragons rulebooks you already know and love? I'd play Starfinder. But this is 1989. Oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Look, that's right. Spelljammer is AD&D in space. Take that, West End Games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the two actual central conceits for Spelljammer are a setting where a medieval knight standing on the prow of a spacefaring sailing ship wouldn't be out of place. And then it was also a way to connect many of the disparate campaign settings people had already been playing for decades. Greyhawk and Forgotten Realms and uh, Dragonlance. Um, you know, you had these all these characters and all this history playing in these very specific worlds. And if you, like, met up with other people or were playing at, like, a, you know, your friendly local gaming store... You couldn't merge them in any way. You couldn't do anything with them because they existed essentially in different multiverses. And then along came Spelljammer and gave you a way to sort of mash them together. So it was released by TSR in 1989, the first of a series of new campaign settings meant to re-energize the fan base and expand gameplay beyond traditional fantasy. So like think of the campaign settings that came right after Spelljammer. Spelljammer in 89, Hollow World in 1990, Dark Sun in 91... Birthright, Planescape, and Council of Worms all in 1994. Spelljammer paved the way, uh, which kind of ended up being one of its biggest weaknesses. Mm. Yeah, sometimes you don't want to be first through the breach. Mm -hmm. Yeah, tip of the spear. Yeah, <laughs> you will the, be remembered. They should have sent Hollow World through first. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> Too fragile. Just, you know. So Spelljammer didn't end up having as much like meat as some of the subsequent settings, it had a fair number of source books in its few years. They were released pretty often, but like beyond that whole like Jules Verne meets Berlin in outer space appeal that it had, it kind of lacked inspirational lore to pull players in. It's also like a really super specific vibe that they were going for and like achieved, but it's not, it's definitely not for everyone. And then uh, the death of Spelljammer was ultimately Planescape, which, uh, you know, is another setting that brought all of the multiverse together and allowed every setting to fit in and did everything that uh, Spelljammer intended to do, <laughs> uh, but without having to really get into that Jules Verne vibe. 
Yeah, and also, like, think about Planescape, right? It's far more evocative. I mean, you've got the cant, and, like, it pulls in all of that. Like, um, the Great Wheel mythology that people already knew and really liked, but they gave it meaning, right? And also, Planescape is very tied to a location, right? Sigil which is something that as people played Spelljammer kind of realized that they, they were sort of lacking like a home base or a headquarters. Like you had your ship, you had your Spelljammer. Um, but other than that, you couldn't really build out from there unless you were landing on a particular world in a crystal sphere and then sort of setting up there. But then at that point, you're just playing regular D&D. Right. And that's, I mean, I think that's what Planescape did differently than Spelljammer and did really well, which is why it, it ultimately won out, right? Is that you play Planescape, you still play D&D, right? Like, Spelljammer is a different game, or it should be, right? Like, if you yeah. made Spelljammer new today, you wouldn't necessarily hang it on D&D. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, like we said, it's always had a loyal following, though it's been pretty small. Lots of favorite bits of Spelljammer ended up making it into other products. So, like, the space... Like Planescape. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, the space the spacefaring slavers, the Neogi, uh, got like this huge write up in 3.5's Lords of Madness source book, which was very good. Shane, I did not know this. Did you know this? The Hadozi from Stormrack were originally from Spelljammer. You mean the uh, like the orangutan folk that were like natural sailors? Yeah, they're originally oh. they're they're not sailors on the ocean. They're sailors in space. Yeah, so they were they were flying tall ships in space. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, like, you know, 3.5 came along. They were like, oh, let's get some aquatic races. And most sure. of them were, like, amphibious. And someone was like, you know what? <laughs> that explains why they're, like, the only race that doesn't have any type of amphibious quality to it, which makes them super not convenient. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, there there is, like, this, this note that I never caught reading Stormrack was that they have an affinity for elves because... They have an affinity for elves from Spelljammer. They just, mm. like, threw it in there. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, and then versions of Spelljammer ships or Spelljammer helms appear throughout D&D products here and there over the last 30 years. They just keep popping up, and they they never quite capture the feel. But, you know, someone is always like, hey, it's the Manual of the Planes. Let's put in a Spelljammer. Why not? And then the uh, the next chapter of the story will... Uh, unfold in August with a three-volume box set. Which we don't which... know a ton about yet, but... Yeah. <laughs> maybe we should have done this in September when we know about the new setting. I don't think it's going to change all that much. I think the biggest change I've heard of thus far is that instead of the crystal spheres floating in the Phlogiston, which is something we'll explain in a little bit, uh, they float through the Astral Sea, which is a, which is a mm. very, like, 4E... Uh, conception of the multiverse where like the divine domains of the gods sort of float through the astral sea as well um don't know how i love it but i mean it does mean that like it's going to be all good yankee pirates all the time so like that's not so bad uh, well, we'll see how it goes so let's get into the setting itself turns out ptolemy was sort of kind of right the world floats in a void surrounded by a vast crystal sphere that contains the entire solar system and other worlds, read campaign settings here, 
exist in their own crystal spheres, so the Forgotten Realms bobs along in something called Realm Space, and Greyhawk is the center of Grey Space, and the entire War of the Lint saga takes place entirely in Kryn Space. Those are convenient names. Yeah, imagine that. Then within the spheres, the void is wild space, a bit like outer space, but populated by native creatures and humanoid civilizations who actually sail ships called spelljammers through the space, giving physics a hearty finger the entire time. Yeah, physics just like, if you're the kind of person who wants to figure out exactly how much residual heat is created by a fireball in an enclosed area, spelljammer is not for you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um like they're act like you said Jane, they're actual tall ships right like they're they have actual sails and gravity is not aligned according toward the center of mass it's aligned toward what one might logically view as like the flat plane that you would walk on the on the Z-axis. deck of the ship yeah <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> i mean it it, it has big uh and not by accident right but like big 40k vibes right it's like oh, super yeah you should not fly cathedrals through space you should not fly <laughs> tall ships through space but it's awesome if you do it let's go right why not um and, and like you know there there are lots of rules around like how much air do you have to breathe but it's not based on any any kind of physics it's any body that leaves a planetary atmosphere drags along some of that atmosphere with it. And so, like, you've got, like, three months of breathable air on your ship. Just that's right. how it is. Deal with it. Uh, so these crystal spheres are floating in the phlogiston, a mysterious flammable substance that powers spelljammer ships and propels them between the different spheres along currents. We'll see exactly how much of that still exists once we get to the 5th edition version. Uh, but like most other settings at the time, the typical D&D races make an appearance, uh, but their cultures are changed to fit a spacefaring pirate's game, right? Mind flayers barter for brains. Militant elves try to salvage a once great armada and orcs display impeccable manners before they kill you and take your teeth. You know, so not everything changes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's talk about some of the themes of Spelljammer. I think you kicked it off with the with the first theme here, right? Which is <laughs> flip it and reverse it. Like so much of the setting is just subverting your normal fantasy RPG conventions. And so like wait, scrow is literally orc spelled backwards? Is that yeah. mm-hmm. is that really where it gets? Is this a is this a draw me situation? <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. The the orcs decided that they didn't want to be orcs anymore because they keep losing. So they changed their society to basically be the opposite of orc culture and call themselves Scrow. Okay. I, <laughs> all right. Uh, I, so, yeah. So the theme here is it, it's the races that you know are all present in Spelljammer, but the cultures of people who have left the spheres is unrecognizable. Yeah. Like, remember that Spelljammer is early enough in all of this that it subverts the conventions but it does not subvert the subversions right like it's very much like these aren't your dnds and like that's it right because like no one else had really been like these aren't your dnds right like there it couldn't be a dark sun parody because that was still in the future right <laughs> right and also like timing wise forgotten realms was not yet the full kitchen sink that it once that that it became 
right? So if you you kind of look at Forgotten Realms as like, oh god, there's really a place for everything, isn't there? This is obnoxious. Like that's like literally like Spelljammer is a zoo, right? Like it's the Noah's Ark of of campaign settings because there are just animal folk everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> it's I I I wonder if this was like just a a design constraint or or just something people at TSR were into at the time, or maybe it's just like, all right, how do you come up with a new race? I don't know. Like, let's uplift an animal, right? Right. But like, it had playable lizard folk. It had GIF, which are hippo folk, hippo hippo people with with like uh, British military fetishism. <laughs> <laughs> it had the orangutan Hadozi people, dracons or dragon centaurs. It had thrycreen. I mean, everybody had thrycreen at the time. You know, dragon <laughs> Darkstone was about to be like, give me some thrycreen. <laughs> which like, it's not certainly not bad. Like. But it gives me huge, like, Bucky O'Hare vibes. I don't know if, I literally have no idea if anyone's going to get that reference. But just, like, talking animals, fighting wars in space with, like, Yeah, I can assure guns. you, you're 0 for 1 on this audience. <laughs> <laughs> Look at us with your Bucky O'Hare references. And and all of this is to, to fit uh, what I alluded to. Spelljammer is a sandbox for all of your toys. And it's not that... Like, we found a place for it. It's that literally take the place you want and bring it to, right? Use every source book you have. Use every homebrew that you've you've created. Like, it all crams together in Spelljammer. There's always another crystal sphere, right? Somewhere out there. It has what you're looking for. Or it has what you already made or it has what already exists. And like I said before, it like allowed you really for the first time without doing a ton of homebrew work to come incorporate characters from different campaigns, right? So like you got to the end of your campaign on, on, in Dragonlance. What do you do with that character now? I mean, I guess you retire them, but also you could just now make them epic, start using the epic, you know, rules and put them into space, you know? Like everything <laughs> was just like, everything in Spelljammer is like so much like bigger everything is huge everything is world ending because like there's an infinite world who cares right right yeah it's it, it, that was i think also one of the challenges that spelljammer had right is like it had adventures but there's not much to it because like it doesn't give you any guidance on what pieces are supposed to be doing right like all of your story is local to a sphere the setting doesn't give you or didn't give you that sort of that balancing act of when are we in a sphere, right? When are we interacting with a setting? And when are we interstitially in, you know, Spelljammer as a setting, right? And, like, that's the that's the sort of the art of the Spelljammer campaign is that you have to kind of dip into different spheres but also have the freedom to leave when the party decides to do something else, right? You have to be able to move about. There isn't a lot of guidance about like what PCs should be doing because there there isn't like this overarching storyline really for Spelljammer. I mean there's there's like timeline stuff and in the long ago the elves and the orcs, you know, fought wars in space and the or orcs are really upset about it. Or, but like, you know, you don't have these timelines or these touch points or you know, you think about like a, also a relatively new campaign setting Eberron, which is like hi, let's set this up against 100 years of war. And like, you're coming out of that. And like, every one and every interaction that you have 
is grounded in some sort of history. Whereas Spelljammer, literally every anyone you meet could be could have absolutely no tie to you mm-hmm. or anything you've ever met before. And like that's probably actually par for the course. I, I mean <laughs> like bring that in too, right? Like you show up on Eberron for the first time, you know nothing about it. It's just emerged from this hundred year long war and is in the middle of its like, you know, budding Cold War. You can just leave. <laughs> like you're a spell jammer. Like, okay, I you know what? I don't care about any of this stuff. Let me just go chase down whatever I need and then I get to go. I don't have to interact with any of this meta plot at all. Yeah, let let's find exploitable natives. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it works in the real world. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, I mentioned this before, but Spelljammer also is, like, it's a vibe. It's a very specific vibe. So, you know, it's meant as a sandbox for all your toys, but you can't use all your toys. Dark Sun, when it came along, and then Ravenloft, which was already out, specifically were excluded. They didn't have Crystal Spheres because, like, they just don't fit with the mood of Spelljammer, which we'll we'll talk about in a little bit. But, like, also, they're basically supposed to be sort of, like, prison settings mm-hmm. where, like, you're trapped and can't get out. And if you could just hop a ship and leave Athos, who wouldn't do that? Well, I'll tell you who wouldn't do that, Ishan. Six of our home group decided <laughs> they wouldn't do that, given the chance. <laughs> Only I was the one who said, forget this place. It sucks. I'm glad I'm glad we connected it to the, the multiverse. I'd like to leave now. Yeah, but where did you go? You went to Mystic Lawsuit I went to, to Theranos. <laughs> I went to Spelljammer. Yeah, I did go to Ther- Theros. <laughs> You're like, I'm g- I'm going to be the god of grapes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but but like if you th- if you think about the kinds of things that you are now running into, you're on this ship, like literally a wooden ship sailing through space and you know, you're talking to a hippo person very seriously about like their arquebus and you know, how to like make some money so that literally the giant hamster wheel that propels this ship through space can keep running and mm-hmm. like it it almost necessarily becomes a comedy campaign how does it not i i mean i don't have an answer for you <laughs> <laughs> and like i i don't know that that was the intention right it was just hey anything goes in our crazy space setting but then once you start building all those things out the craziest things stick and now you have tinker gnomes who are creating golem versions of themselves called auto gnomes and mm-hmm. and like but it, why would you bring one of the worst parts of crin and put it in your setting <laughs> <laughs> okay so we've dunked on spelljammer a fair bit uh and perhaps sold it slightly but Let's talk about the the core theme of what makes Spelljammer tick is you want to play an Age of Exploration type game, mm-hmm. right? You don't want to play a game where you are confined to uh, taking a job to clear a dungeon to turn in some monster heads to collect some loot, right? Like you want to see the multiverse and experience the sense of wonder of the first time, like, you know, seeing a, 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 a new setting, uh, unfold before you right like you want that sense of like 
I'm trying to think of the least offensive European explorer, right? But like, <laughs> cat, like you know, like uh, like Eric the Red, right? Like seeing land for the first time in North America, right? Like finding that there's something beyond, or or you know, like the uh, the first uh, like Vikings, the Ragnar Lothbrok discovering England for the Vikings, right? Like that sense of wonder and like fish out of water and what's here and and what can be done. Yeah, like I think Spelljammer, especially for the time, opened up potential storylines in a way that, well, that in a way that definitely no setting had done before. And I think I would even venture to say that no setting has done since. Like if you think mm-hmm. about the settings that are specifically designed so that you can use all your stuff, Eberron, right? There's supposed to be a place for everything in Eberron. And Planescape, like everything meets in Sigil. And I think those do a really great job of facilitating that. But they never quite hit the heights of exploration and like maybe wonder that you can get in a good Spelljammer game. Right. Yeah, it's like Planescape gives you a, a reasonable explanation for what happens when you leave your home plane, right? Spelljammer gives you uh, a fantasy of what happens when you leave your home plane. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Like, and, and like doesn't tell you this is what you're going to find is like hey you can exactly. leave your home plane and you can find anything anything right yeah planescape is like oh it's victorian england <laughs> <laughs> right but but in the planes <laughs> and like don't get me wrong i love planescape right because it's also like oh you don't like victorian england that's fine we've got a wide array of alice in wonderland type uh infinite planes that you can visit now this Age of Exploration theme facilitates a pretty specific kind of game. But honestly, in my experience, it's the kind of game that a whole bunch of players want to play. Like, it keeps coming up. And isn't it isn't just you and Shane in your, like, I want to play a Pirates game thing, right? Which is cursed to never happen. Like the, the Flying Dutchman, mm-hmm. essentially. Um, but I, there, I think there are a ton of people who, like, want to play, like, a a Jules Verne, like 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, First Men on the Moon type of thing where like you don't need to worry about the exact physics. We just put a bunch of gunpowder under this thing and blast it off, right? But I think those players often don't know that that's what you can get from Spelljammer. Also, like, you know, the rules haven't really been updated since 1993, so. Right. And then the other piece of Spelljammer is that, like, a lot of that story is really a survival adventure, right? Like, and the rules support calculations for how long your air is going to last. Like, what kind of damage does your ship have? Spelljammer shock. What happens if you crash and burn, right? And and that isn't, like... That isn't quite the same as like the swashbuckling, high flying, swinging mm-hmm. through the ropes kind of uh, kind of pirate game that you might think of normally. Yeah, it's really less about like what happens if you crash and burn, and what happens when you crash and burn. Right, because <laughs> well, that's the main plot of Spelljammer is when you stop being a Spelljammer <laughs> and start having to get back to being a Spelljammer. Well, and that's the thing, and I think that that might have been like a, a like second edition verisimilitude thing. Where like spelljammers are notoriously 
have notoriously bad maneuverability in like atmosphere. Uh, and also every time your ship takes damage, there's like there's the chance of the person who's sitting in the spell jammer helm, like the person who's piloting, right? Like taking damage or dying. Uh, and if that happens, yeah, you crash, you know, and if you crash, of course, you like you die, you know, you just fell from atmosphere, like the top of the atmosphere. I, I, I love it. I mean, <laughs> it is such like early Rogue Trader vibes to me. Oh, like, I, and I'm, I know there was a ton of crossover between them because like, you know, Games Workshop was producing the minis for TSR at the time. So like, I know they talked, but like, it just has that feeling of like... <laughs> Oh, one person died. We're all screwed. <laughs> but but that was those that, that was games at the time, right? Like it certainly wasn't just Spelljammer and Rogue Trader, like a regular D and D game. Like if your wizard died, you're screwed, right? Or your tank died, right. you're screwed. Yep. And then I think uh, an an interesting theme of Spelljammer to talk about is there's always a bigger fish in what I guess will become the Astral Sea, right? Like, there, you, no matter how dangerous you are, no matter how much you're feeling yourself, like, there is something out there that is more dangerous, whether that's, you know, Yankee Raiders or that is, um, like, a, a, a crew of, of GIF. Like, there is something out there who is ready to knock you over and take all your stuff and leave you floating in the Flogiston to figure it out for yourself. Right? Or just eat your whole planet. <laughs> yeah, your planet or, you know, your brain. Or, or both, <laughs> eventually. Like, uh, yeah. was uh, one of my, one thing I actually really enjoy doing is looking through, like, second edition bestiaries just because they're so off the wall. Um, but, like, the Spelljammer <laughs> stuff is, is uh, what are the, the, the Witchlight Marauders are are just, like, huge bugs that land on a planet and start eating everything and then squirting out new bugs and then they eventually like turn into two of themselves and then when they've eaten everything they just start eating each other oh and also how they get there they flew on thousand foot versions of themselves that fly through space like what tyranids <laughs> right yeah <laughs> i mean <laughs> you know send elminster over we'll teach him a couple things <laughs> I mean, it really does make El Elminster seem so small. I think what most people probably remember from Spelljammer more than anything is the wacky races because they're they're pretty wacky. Wacky. You have the typical races: humans and dwarves exist. The beholders are a little bit different. They're they're not quite as well. They're still murderous, but they're not quite as like you know cacklingly evil. Mind flayers we talked about in previous episodes are uh, more like business people. They're they're business mm -hmm. evil, not not right. like lawful or chaotic evil. Right, but they're still hated by the gith. Well, <laughs> so I mean, that's some things never change. So, yeah, you can't you can't become a a a what is it? You can't make a million or a billion friends without making a few enemies. What was the tagline for the Facebook movie? It doesn't matter. Let's keep moving. <laughs> Uh, it introduced the Neogi, or like eel spider slavers who got big write-ups later and we're going to see again. Introduced the GIF. Yeah, we talked about the GIF who are, you know, militant uh, hippos. Uh, we, I think we mentioned already the, the Dracons, which are like 
centaur-like dragons. Yeah, who are also herd animals and like have a very hierarchical society, and and also they're really polite. It, this is the whole thing. Um, the elves have an armada. <laughs> um, that it's also called an imperial armada, but they don't have an empire. So you know, like, there's a backstory. Inspirational. Uh, mm, the orcs, uh, like we said before, are called the Scrow now um and they are genteel and proper and have manners because they decided that grumsh was an idiot which like i mean grumsh <laughs> is an idiot <laughs> grumsh well, is not uh invested in the orcs winning <laughs> just in the right. orcs fighting <laughs> uh so they decided they would be tactical about stuff which actually I, you know i like this take on orcs that's reasonable mm-hmm. uh, the arcane are a race that only exists for verisimilitude uh, your spell jamming helm can break really easily and then your ship doesn't work. So you need a new place to go get more of them. So these are the, this race, all they did is created the spell jammer helms and they sell them. So great. You'd get enough gold and you go replace your spell jammer helm. Where? You talk to the arcane. Yep. <laughs> so you've already mentioned the tinker gnomes from, from Kryn, which make auto gnomes. The Hadozi we talked about, uh, giant space hamsters are not a joke and they're not a meme. I mean, they're kind of a joke, but like they're actually a thing. The Tinker Gnomes uh, got here and then we're trying to figure out better ways to propel spell jammers and water wheels and hamster wheels apparently were the way to do it. And they thought, well, we need a really big hamster wheel. So I guess we should get some really big hamsters. So they bred giant space hamsters which come with lots of different variants like the saber-tooth version and the fire-breathing version and the invisible version and, of course, the infamous miniature giant space Miniature version. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, uh, the most famous of whom is, of course, Boo. And then Plasmoids, who uh, we got um, in, in Unearthed Arcana. So we'll see if we get them for real, for real. Uh, but they're amorphous blobs who can kind of hold a shape for a while. Um, Cool. Ooze people. All right. So how do you play a Spelljammer game? I think with like more than 30 years experience under people's belts, it's pretty clear that like you should just do what it says on the box. Don't try to make it what it's not. If you're going to play Spelljammer, play, play, play a pirate's game. Be pirates. Go be pirates. Yeah. I mean, that seems reasonable. And then your, your ports of call are just spheres where you know people right where you can uh you can you know have your adventures and then pirate on off right like it's totally fine for an entire sphere whether it's a known campaign setting or one you made up or whatever to be your tortuga you know stop in and there are people who stay there and live there and you know that like you're either going to be in trouble with them or you owe the money or they can give you a place to hide or or whatever and then you're going to leave you're not going to stay here because like only only downtime happens here. Right. Yeah, and I mean this is this is the type of thing where your your adventure happens between locations, right? Either because you find other spell jammers or you're attacked by other spell jammers. Um or, you know, something worse than spell jammers. Yeah, you're chasing a space um, whale or what you know, whatever. Exactly, exactly. But uh, so your adventure happens in between. Uh, the flip side of that is probably playing something like a Star Wars game, right? Where your adventure happens when you get to where you're going, 
Uh, and this is probably the game where you're bringing in existing campaign settings and twisting them just slightly so that there's a, a layer of the world that understands Spelljammers exist, right? And interfaces with Spelljammers, but otherwise leaves the majority of the, the world and setting intact the way that the players know it. Mm-hmm. I think you could also play a Jules Verne type game. Uh, whether that is, you know, really exploring the unknown, like you're one of maybe sort of like the first spell jamming mm-hmm. ships out there. Maybe there's like a competitive, uh, like a, an inventor that you're competing with out there, but you might be the only person who's been able to travel between crystal spheres. Um, it It could also be that like you're just from whatever earth or like all from the same regular fantasy campaign setting. And now for the first time venturing out into this wide metropolitan multiverse. Right. Yeah, so there there's that's I think kind of the key here, right? Is like when do you have that fish out of water moment? Right? Are you all native spell jammers and your fish out of water moment is when you arrive at uh a, a given place, a given, you know, sphere that that then makes you feel weird? Or is it because you came from a sphere and this is your kind of like eye-opening uh perspective character uh view of Spelljammer and like oh it's the first time you've seen a space whale it's the first time that you've you know seen a nautiloid traveling <laughs> right like <laughs> like it's it's strange to see a nautiloid traveling through space uh even as you are in a tall ship <laughs> um but i think what separates to me the sort of the star wars game from the jules verne game is that like star wars is all about the known locations, mm-hmm. right? And the Jules Verne game is about the unknown locations. And the pirate game is what happens between locations, who cares about the locations themselves, right? Um, and, and so that's kind of the three archetypes. I will say, though, um, I think there is enough unknown in Spelljammer that, like, you don't need to mess with the timeline, right? Like, a change in the current... Uh, of the Phlogiston will prevent you from like visiting spheres for ages, right? So you could just be the first spell jammer to take that current after it shifted, right? You could be one of the early ones into like a new sector of of you know known space, um, and revisiting it for the first time, and it's been you know, eons since anybody has actually been there. And so all the information that anybody has is out of date and you're learning it brand new. Mm -hmm. And then I think if you really want to sort of like interface with a lot of the elements in the original source books, you kind of want to like lampshade or, or, or even borderline parody a lot of things, you know, like yuck it up. It's, it's, it's fine to laugh some. I mean, like Pirates of the Caribbean is probably a good example of this where like, yeah, it was kind of telling a serious story and characters you could get behind or whatever, but also like it was ridiculous. <laughs> like canonically, the the Riegar blew up their own homeworld as the ultimate act of art. Uh, and, and like the GIF probably canonically blew up their own homeworld too, but like an accident. <laughs> Yeah, and then you know somebody blew up their homeworld so that like it could never be held against them, you know? Like <laughs> it's just like look, if if we're orphans, then no one could ever use our homeworld against us. You could never hurt me more than I've hurt myself. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about which systems to use for spelljammer. Uh wait a few months and play D D. 
you know, that will be the most up-to-date rules that we're going to have mm-hmm. and you don't have to change anything. Um, I think Scum and Villainy will also give you a lot of that feeling. Uh, what it has in the sort of um, ship mechanics and things like that are going to feel very much like a pirate. Uh, what it lacks is the distinct kind of medieval fantasy uh, aesthetic, right? Because Scum and Villainy is very much a Star Wars clone and not necessarily a D&D clone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you could use a Rogue Trader system. It also lacks sort of the fantasy elements, but leans pretty heavily into the vibe that you're looking for, especially if you go like off the deep end Rogue Trader. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're playing a Rogue Trader on the, the far edges of the, you know, like the the limits of Imperial space, um and you're in the full-on sort of like you know explore and exploit mode i think that fits Spelljammer really really well thematically um and then yeah same thing you've got to bring the tech level and sort of amp up the fantasy a little bit so some caveats here just like most other D settings slavery is like really freaking common you know a lot of mm-hmm. the races here canonically like their job as an entire species is enslaving sapient people and then selling them. Yeah, and also entire species of sapient people <laughs> have one job. <laughs> it's I'm curious how they're going to dig themselves out of this one cuz it is uh yeah, it's a big theme and and it it really doesn't fit modern D&D. They might just not like I looked through um Eberron rising from the last war and like canonically the goblinoids of Dargoon um, like partake in slavery and it's still in there. It's not like it's not a central theme, but they didn't like remove it entirely. And there are places where it's like, oh, the Lesh Haruk has banded in this one city, but a lot of the other clans still right still engage in it and it's like you know if you're not a goblinoid and you're from this area where you like raised in bondage which is like you know a euphemism for like hey you're you were enslaved you know right yeah i mean and i i don't know we'll see what happens i mean it i have always had the impression that the threat of enslavement is a driving factor as much as there is a driving factor in Spelljammer, right? Like, that is sort of the ever-present threat of, like, if if the wrong something, the wrong bigger fish comes along, like, your endgame is slaves. Um, maybe that's a problem with my perception of the setting, uh, but it, it just seems like, yeah, there's just, there's just a lot that is really dependent on that. Uh, it'll be interesting. It, it it would be like removing slavery from Dark Sun, mm-hmm. yeah, right. Where it, it's just like it's an assumption that there is a group out there that is trained and ruthless and actively looking to enslave you, right? And like if you don't avoid the Gith pirates, like that's the end of your character is in in shackles. Yeah, and and it's sort of like a hand wavy explanation for how any of the economies work. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, we'll see. Maybe they, I hope they found a, a way to do it. Uh, it doesn't feel precious to me, but I, I'm not one of the Spelljammer folks. So, mm. um, analysis paralysis, I think, is something that can 
definitely or has historically definitely been an issue for people playing Spelljammer. The the options are infinite. So like which which ones right. do you pick? You know, like how even does like a a gaming group decide what story they want to tell when you have the entirety of D&D to choose from. Right. All at the same time. <laughs> Well, and then you have the inverse too, right? Which is that there's a, an urge to settle down and put down roots in a single setting, right? Uh, either as the players, because like, oh, we like it here. Uh, or as the the GM, because like, oh, I don't want to have to go redevelop all this background and like, you know, go go create another world or go find more plots and, you know, go find more hooks. Like I'll, I don't want to throw away everything that we've built up in this place mm -hmm. for you guys to just walk away and leave. Right. Cause then, okay, now we've, I created NPCs and you made bonds with them or whatever. Like, do we fly away? Like we're supposed to, or the game expects us to, or do like, right. do we take you on as crew? And now I always have to play these NPCs or, or, or <laughs> what, what, you know? Exactly. All right, so the question we always ask at the end of these episodes, Shane, would you play a Spelljammer game? Um, I would, but my caveat is I would only do it in D&D. &D. Mm. Um, nothing about Spelljammer is like particularly precious to me to where I like I need Spelljammer, right? And I would do the work to like play something else. But if you give me the rules for it and I have to play D&D &D anyway, Sure, Spelljammer is a great way to play D&D. I think I'm on the same page, right? Like, yes, you can play it in Scum and Villainy or Rogue Trader, but, like, I'd rather just play Scum and Villainy or Rogue Trader. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, but th that but, yeah. said, like, you know, it, hey, if we're going to play D&D &D and we could play Spelljammer, like, yeah, I'll play Spelljammer. No problem with it. I'd rather play it than Forgotten Realms. I well one hundred percent. So I think we're both looking forward to seeing what comes out in August. I am. I I didn't know that it was a three book box set. So it's that's really interesting to me. Um, I hope they took a look at the Rogue Trader line, and they are going to do something similar to how Rogue Trader approached it because Rogue Trader gave a lot of tools for that exploration phase, which is the whole thing yeah. with Spelljammer. <laughs> I now demand two more books and a box for Eberron. So, <laughs> there we go. Do you hear that, Ishan? That's the, the flogist in calling. It's very flammable, so, like, please be careful, but also, you know, if you're going to go, it's a good way to go. This is a forge. There is nothing here but fire, Ishan. We have to we have to calm the bellows. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sense Carne. That's malice minus meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at totalpartythrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.totalpartythrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at Total Party Thrill. And join the conversation on Discord. There's a link in the show notes. All right. It is still anime. Mm-hmm. So we've got another anime character for you. Okay. Who do we have? <laughs> um, 
I have purposely been avoiding Naruto characters because they're on the high end of the power scale for anime characters and emulating them in D&D is pretty difficult. But I think with uh, recent rule books, we can get a pretty good approximation of Uchiha Sasuke. I believe in you. Now, who is Uchiha Sasuke? Sasuke Uchiha. He's the Sasuke. he's the emo loner antihero of Naruto. He's uh All right. Naruto, the eponymous Naruto's eternal rival. And Naruto's a guy. Naruto's a dude, yep. Uh and oh. uh uh spoiler alert, eventual blood brother. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's an accomplished okay. swordsman. He specializes in lightning and fire techniques. He can cast spells with his eyes because he has the shutting gun. Illusions, teleportation, fire, mind control. All those sorts of things. See what I mean? Like they they can do everything all the time. They're like super overpowered, obviously, which is mm-hmm. why all Naruto okay. characters are wizards, right? Yeah. Uh, and if he's a swordsman and a wizard, then I'm guessing we're going to be blade singer. Yeah. So the build is going to be blade singer wizard thirteen way of the astral self monk seven. I feel like a lot of these are really just like how much wizard and what kind, how much monk and what kind, and do I splash anything else? You know, I know there are people out there probably being like, he needs some warlock. Well, yes, he had a curse seal and then it got taken away. Okay, so he was a warlock and now he wasn't. He got respect. (laughs) Okay. So we will begin with two levels of monk. Because now the monk here sort of emulates his taijutsu abilities, his like hand-to-hand combat. And then wizard is mostly going to be the other jutsus which which in in this uh show shane are essentially like the, what what you think of as like the um abilities that you yell as you perform them right like the like the semi-magical things that you can do uh like run uh sure actually actually certain kinds of running yeah naruto run is the only thing i know about naruto. <laughs> <laughs> i mean like a stereotypical anime where like you know sailor moon shouts, oh, yeah, shouts right. the name where... of attack right yeah, they yeah, also yeah, right. do that, but the an attack that you shout the name usually is sort of like magically enhanced in some way. So like those are okay. mostly what you're gonna get from the wizard spells. Got it. All right. So for monk, unarmored defense, martial arts, right? You're good hand to hand combatant. Flurry of blows, which gives you step of the wind, um, which uh, lets you jump quite far uh, by spending a bit of key, and then patient defense, which lets you, um spend key to take the dodge action now that early on is just going to emulate the fact that sasuke is very good at hand-to-hand combat but he hasn't fully awakened his like uh his bloodline limit abilities his his like um the abilities of his eyes okay those we get once we uh, go into wizard then we take six levels of wizard that'll give us blade song now, as a bonus action, for one minute, proficiency bonus times per day, you get the whole package of intelligence modifier to AC plus 10 feet of movement speed, which combined with your monk additional speed is going to give you a base movement of 55 feet, which is pretty amazing. Uh, advantage on acrobatics and your intelligence modifier to all concentration checks. This is essentially turning on your eyes. Right, like activating the shutting gun, which he at least early on can't do for very long or that often each day, right? But it does give him 
almost like limited precognition, right? It, it sort of amps up his perceptive abilities to the point where he can s- see other people telegraphing their moves even before they know what they're going to do. So it's m- quite easy for him to dodge out of the way, to copy their abilities, and to attack them before they understand what's happening. Okay. <laughs> At six, you get extra attack. And then... So your first six six levels of wizard, you've got a wide array of spells to choose from. I think the ones that I would go with to emulate Sasuke abilities are your bread and butter here is Shocking Grasp, which is your Chidori, which is just a a lightning attack. He gathers lightning in his hand and then he can like stab people with it or cut or whatever, right? That's Shocking Grasp. Naturally. Right. Uh, All ninjas can spider climb. Uh, All of them can move very quickly. Sasuke is particularly fast, so haste works well here. Um, his family is very good at fire spells in general. They breathe fire. He was able to master the fireball technique by the time he was six years old. So Dragon's Breath and Fireball are both good spells. That is... <laughs> okay, so maybe something that I would not have laughed at nearly as much if I hadn't become a parent. <laughs> <laughs> but giving a six-year-old fireball? <laughs> like, what kind of irresponsible monsters are his family? <laughs> Oh, like, oh, that's a that's a huge theme. Like child soldiers is just like constant, constantly. It's ridiculous. It's crazy. Um, lightning bolt is the Chidori spear, right? He takes Chidori and then turns it into basically like a you know twenty five foot melee attack. Uh, and then as the Sharingan develops, you get abilities like suggestion, hold person, hypnotic pattern, right? All the Genjutsu abilities where you like are basically controlling other people's minds. We're gonna go back to monk after this. Yeah, we're going to finish up Monk at 7. You get Deflect Missiles, Slow Fall, Stunning Strike, Evasion, the regular ninja stuff. At 7, you get also get Stillness of Mind, which is your Kai release, right? If uh, someone has put you under a Genjutsu or a Mind Control, you can release yourself from it. Uh, and then here's the reason why we're going Monk and why we're going Astral Self Monk. There, Sasuke has so many abilities that you need to pick which ones you're going to emulate. And so for this build, I have chosen to emulate Suzano which is uh, one of his like high-level abilities that basically eventually creates uh, a, a golem of energy around him that he can then control, basically a kaiju. Uh, but it starts like low levels with like just a rib cage and arms that he can attack with. And okay. then like with like a skeleton, right? It's like just ribs. And then eventually it gets like skin and clothes and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think whoever like wrote this subclass was basically going for this because that's exactly what you get. At level three, you manifest spectral arms that can make unarmed strikes with greater reach and they deal force damage. Uh, And then at level six, um, you can also put a face on it, (laughs) which can see in magical darkness, gives you advantage on insight and intimidation, and then allows you to speak directly into a creature's mind so only they can hear your words, which is all things that you're able to do with high-level Sharingan abilities. So, I don't know, I, I, feel, I feel like there's a fellow weeb writing this particular subclass. Okay. Uh, eventually, you can manifest a full body if you go further into the class. I don't think it's worth it because you give up too much going from like not being able to take enough wizard. And then we finish off Wizard 13. This is when you're like really sort of developing your like Mangakyu Shuringan abilities, your Rinnegan, like all the the eye magic, the visual prowess abilities. That gives you like modify memory, putting people to sleep, 
paralyzing people or monsters in place with hold person, uh, with hold monster dominate person, um, trapping people inside illusions with mental prison, mass suggestion. Uh, the the Renegon gives you true seeing or plane shift or teleport, right? Like you can, um, you get the time space jutsus where you can travel to and from different dimensions or like travel to anywhere in the world uh, in just a moment. Telekinesis is almighty push and pull. Amaterasu can burn anything. Immolation is a good one for this. But if you're in an instance where you need to burn a fire elemental, Amaterasu can do that, so use Disintegrate. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, chain Lightning is Chidori Stream, which you're just pulling all that lightning into your palm and then sending it in every which way direction. That one tracks. Yeah. And then I would say, like, maybe your bread and butter, once you get it, would be something like Tensor's Transformation, which doesn't emulate a particular ability, but just makes you better in melee combat, which is something that Sasuke would be doing anyway. All right. Um, I understood a third of that. You understood the, the spells. <laughs> I understood spells. Right, and then yes. you were like, oh, okay, I mean, I, I now know what that ability does because I know what the spell does. Right, but yeah. I get to read along for the notes, and I don't, I mean, obviously I don't understand <laughs> the Japanese, but, like, I don't understand the Japanese Asian. <laughs> it's all Japanese mythology. That's all that it is. It's, lit it's literally like, oh, uh, Helios, right? Like, oh, you're burned by the sun, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, right. Susano is is storms you know it, it'd just be like oh thor smite that's, that's, okay. all, that's all it is great uh, as an alternate if you're going to play this build starting at a higher level and you really want to lean into the visual prowess abilities more so than the suzano you could go monk three wizard 17 which gives you things like force foresight and meteor swarm which is planetary devastation and illusory dragon which is kitten and and, like, if you want to be the person who, like, rolls up to a tailed beast, looks it in the eye, and says, you're going to do what I'm telling you to do, then, yeah, Dominate Monster is probably the ability that you really want. So go all the way to 17 in Wizard. And there you go. <laughs> Great. What a character. Ooh. Um, We're jumping into the AP next week, so we're going to put the final two uh, anime builds on patreon for you as bonus content yeah so uh so check that out and before we wrap up we'll take a moment and thank all of our patreon supporters so your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show and supporters at any level get access to our plot hook of the week bonus content slash anime and if you'd like to learn more you can check out all of our rewards at patreon.com slash total party thrill and what do we have planned for next week's episode? We're kicking it off with week one of season three of our actual play, Pez Proudgale in Never Been Gished. And that's it for episode 317 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. <laughs>